it's never never an easy process, but I think it's something important that we need to talk about. And the books provide an avenue, the books provide an opportunity for that parent-child discussion about these feelings. Beautiful. Like I I agree. I think it's so important, especially to like have a tool that is easily digestible by both parents and children alike. Right. And that you can use to like share and maybe help some child feel more comfortable and that they're not alone. Exactly. For doing that. Hi, and welcome to the Endo Babe podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Bree. I'm an ultrasound tech turned endometriosis coach, positivity and self-love advocate, a seven on the Enneagram, and I am a proud dog mom. And I'm on a mission to help you live more positively with endometriosis and be happy in your body. On the Endo Babe podcast, we're going to dive deep into all things endometriosis, mindset, self-love, health, and so much more. This is a badass podcast for badass endo babes. And I want you to leave this podcast feeling inspired and empowered on your own health journey with more confidence and the belief that you too can have more good days than bad. Are you with me, babes? See you in the podcast. This episode is brought to you by MJoy. MJoy is an audio well-being app specialized in female pleasure and sexual wellness with science-backed content. Their purpose is to normalize female sexual well-being as a key part of wider well-being and self-care. MJoy is helping over 300,000 women achieve sexual well-being goals, such as increasing their libido, climaxing consistently, learning new techniques, and having more fulfilling relationships. The app has over 500 audios of science-backed content created by sex and relationship experts. With over 200 sexy stories, they also have fantasies for any desire. Whether you're new to exploring yourself, wanting to spice things up, or just wanting to improve your mental health and self-care routine, MJoy has something for you. There's even a collection about endometriosis by yours truly in the app. And for EndoBabe podcast listeners, we have teamed up to give you a free 14-day trial of the app. Click the link in the show notes to get your free trial now. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the EndoBabe podcast. This episode, I chatted with Anna Maria, who is a author and an adoptive mother. She adopted a child from Mexico and has since written a memoir about that experience. And now she has children's books that feature stories about adoption, foster care, stepchildren, and blended families from the point of view of the child, which I think is such an incredible point of view. It's so needed. I know I share a little bit in the episode, but adoption is definitely not off the table for Eli and myself. And especially if We are, I don't know if I've told you guys this, but we are trying to have kids. So if we can't have children naturally, um, adoption is definitely the steps that we're, we'll probably move towards. So it was really fun to kind of talk to her about her experience. And she shared a lot about her, her daughter's experience, right? Her adoptive daughter's experience and what that was like for her. I just think it's so needed. You can find all of the links for her books and stuff in the show notes. If you want to check her out, let's dive into the episode. Welcome, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. I'm so excited to chat with you today. So I usually start off by having you give a little brief history of who you are and how you got to where you are today. Well, actually, my journey started with infertility. So when I was first married, 
Uh, I had some infertility issues and had a miscarriage. And subsequently, that marriage ended in divorce. And we, um, uh, I was just, it's just shocked. You know, you're shocked. You think it's the only time, the only thing, uh, you're, you're the only one that it's happening to. But subsequently, remarried uh, again, uh, infertility treatments. But after a while, uh, surprise, we stopped treatments and we had a beautiful baby girl. But then adding to our family proved to be problematic. And we thought that adoption was the way to go. So that's how we found ourselves in Mexico, looking into the uh, big brown eyes of a beautiful uh, six-year-old girl. And during that time, uh, the experience was just so fascinating to me, the whole journey of international adoption, what you go through, the myth of adoption that I can talk about, and um, the adoption experience for the child. I started to journal it. I wrote a memoir. And then, uh, you know, a few years later, thought about, mm, you know, I still have some things to say to parents about the transition of adding to their family through adoption. And so I began to write children's books from the point of view of the child to address, you know, the, the uh, trauma, the separation and loss that begins with every adoption. Amazing. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your experience with international adoption? Sure. It was interesting because we had been with a number of agencies for one reason or another did not work out uh, and they were open adoptions. And then one day on the way to work, I saw an article about this uh, summer camp for, for kids coming from Mexico, sponsored by a local Catholic church. And at the bottom of the article, it said, all of these children are eligible for adoption. So uh, I immediately called and started a conversation with the agency. And, um, you know, after a lot of dead ends and, and not so great news with other agencies, this looked like a very viable plan. So we, we went forward and, I mean, it did take time. It was, uh, you know, probably a year and a half to two years later when we met our our daughter, but um, it was uh, that was that was our journey. We decided international adoption was the way to go, and uh, and and did it that way. That's so interesting. I don't know much about adoption at all, but I know it is a reality for a lot of women who experience infertility if they don't want to do the treatments or the treatments fail. Right. I know my husband and I have always talked about potentially adopting in the future if we are unsuccessful in having our own children. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, how was that experience for you, you and your husband? Well, I mean, I, I mentioned um, sort of the, the myth of adoption. Sometimes it's yeah. referred to. And, you know, sure enough, people subscribe to that, that people would say to me, oh, she's so lucky to be adopted by you. She's got this great family now. You like we rescued her. And although it's true that her life circumstances were, would be improved, of course, living in the U.S., that doesn't kind of erase the pain of, you know, what happens. I mean, she was in an orphanage and everyone has sort of preconceived ideas about what an orphanage looks like, but right. this was kind of a wonderful, loving place. She was very close to one of the Tia's. The women referred to, uh, the caregivers were referred to as Tia's. She was very close to one of the Tia's and, uh, and and had a nice life there. So so can you imagine? I mean, she was there for six years and they did prepare her. We went even to visit her at one point, but I don't think it really sunk in about what she was 
about to, to uh, the circumstances of her life were about to change. And so she's been living in Cuernavaca, Mexico for six, almost seven years. And then one day she wakes up, she gets on a plane. And then the next day she's in suburban Philadelphia. So she was not happy to say the least. I mean, the transition for any child with, with those circumstances would not be easy. So, I mean, she cried for months, um, you know, stages, really testing behaviors. And um, just it was it was really tough for her for many years. And uh, I, I attribute that all to the trauma, not only of separation and loss of her biological mother, but but the double experience being separated from the people that she loved in Mexico. So it was tough. Yeah. Did you ever like bring her back to see those people in Mexico? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think that was part of our, our journey that we were not afraid of that. So um, we tried to embrace her culture. If we could, you know, people would say to me, why did you adopt a child from Mexico? If you didn't even speak Spanish. Well, the agency assured us that the kids were very resilient and they, um, uh, picked English up very quickly. And that was all true. And she, after a while, of course, had friends in the neighborhood. Our daughter was a year older and they did things together. I mean, it was, it was fine, but it's hard. It's hard to lose all of that. And yeah. um, we made it a priority for her to keep in touch with those, uh, with those women. When she was a little older, uh, we went back to visit. And then when she was in college, she did a study abroad program and, and was able to visit visit the women, visit the orphanage. And it was uh, just an amazing experience that I write about in my memoir. So uh, that the whole journey from start to finish, I mean, the book encompasses about 10 to 15 years. Um, it took a long time to write, uh, but I thought it was important to just highlight how successful she was in navigating this whole journey. Well, I think that's amazing that you did that because I don't really hear people talking about that side of adoption much, right? It's mostly from like, the parent's point of view, not really the right. adopting a child who has had their own life in this other country or wherever right. Right. before. And, the, and there are so many children out there when you think of the world today that, uh, and when we began to look into this, that certainly was the case with Mexico. I mean, the laws are different. I think it's, it's uh, you know, there are residency requirements. There's there are other other things that come into play. But it was it was a long process and a very tedious, time consuming, expensive. I mean, it's really it really is a tough road. But um, you know, she emerged, and now she's just a beautiful young woman working and, and on her own and. And, and doing great, but uh, it is it is important to keep that you know perspective you know in mind. What was like the moment that you decided that you wanted to adopt instead of continuing with well, treatments? It, you, or you know, you never kind of lose hope. It's kind of a funny thing. It's not something we began to look into it kind of gradually, and then as I said, our first attempt did result in. Um, we ended up having a baby girl. So we, we kind of stopped treatments, but then got pregnant. So for a while we were kind of like, well, maybe this will happen again. Maybe it won't. And so it is uh, a very kind of final and sad sort of, you know, decision that you, you know, that you won't have your own, your own child. And, 
And then we, this, the road of adoption was, was unknown to us. We had dipped our toe in the water before, but um, obviously didn't complete it. So now we're, it's just the, the array of choices and decisions and things you have to do are just uh, really overwhelming. And we, we started, and as I said, just happened upon this agency, but you know, the process is just all consuming and, um, and, you know, you just hope for the best. For sure. And for people that are like interested in possibly adopting, where would you recommend that they begin researching, I guess? Well, I would start locally. I mean, there's, there's got to be within their community church or other groups that they belong to other parents that have gone down that road. So I found other uh, parents advice and counsel, just super important. What what did you do? Where did you go? Who did you talk to? So that's really, then of course, when I began this process years and years ago, there was no internet. So can you imagine that? I just was getting the phone book and just literally calling every, went to the A's and just called every entry under adoption and told my story. And now, of course, there are resources that are so easily kind of sorted, but you know, there are certain constants, you know, big time investment, there's a money investment, uh, there's the element of unpredictability. And so the, the parents should take time to think about what kind of adoption they're looking to um, kind of process they're looking to begin. That's really the most important decision. And then go from there and start your research from there. Yeah. What kind of adoptions are there? Well, domestic and international. Uh, I think the most, the highest um, number of adoptions now in the U.S. are adoptions of relatives, you know, families and friends for one reason or another need to then take on that parent role. So there's, there's that. And then there's, uh, there are different uh, laws for the different states in terms of uh, once the paperwork is signed, how long do does a mother have to change her mind or different ways to go in terms of different populations? And so there, there are a lot of decisions to make before, before you jump in. And thankfully, there's so much more research available today. Right. What strategies did you and your husband and your daughter and your adoptive daughter, like what strategies did you all use to cope with that, with the experience of adoption? We tried to live, you know, day to day as a family. My, my husband and I had a great sort of divide and conquer, you know, mentality. You know, school was new to our adopted daughter. And at the same time, you know, she's struggling to speak English and be successful in the classroom. So uh, he happens to be a, a math professor and he's very comfortable in the classroom. So he kind of took over homework, which it was a good idea initially we had to change that eventually because it was a little too much so you just kind of flex but we had a uh, we did different things with the girls spent time together spent time individually with them because that's important remember our, our daughter you know the time for an infant had passed us by and that's why we had uh, gone down the road of inter- somewhat older child so you know she had been an, an only child for almost 8 years so it was it was a tough transition for her too to get used to sh- everything sharing and and sharing our attention sharing the time and uh, our activities were different 
So that was something that we put a priority on to do things together, do things individually with the girls. And um, that seemed to work. I would love to, for you to share a little bit about your children's books that you wrote. Well, uh, thank you for, for asking that. Yes, the children's books, once I finished the memoir and I, I could just, you know, I've joined, you know, different groups and read some things about adoption. And I thought there are so many, uh, you know, similarities in the experience of what the, the children are going through and thinking. And I wanted to write a, a children's book from the point of view of the child to kind of highlight those emotions that the, the children are feeling. So uh, I decided to make, well, the first of all, the series has just started. So there's book one, book two is almost uh, ready to be released, but there's a family. The young girl is adopted from Colombia. So you'll notice the book is not about my daughter because she would kill me if I wrote any more about her. In fact, both <laughs> girls, both <laughs> girls are so sick of you know me talking about it. They're they're quite embarrassed and say things like, "Oh, mom, TMI." I just stop. Like, don't they don't they really don't want me to mother talk daughter about things? It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I've I've decided that uh, this would be a, a young girl uh, adopted from Colombia, but all the things that happen in that first book are things that were inspired by real life events. So she is experiencing new food, new culture, a new routine, uh, uh, obviously a new language, and just getting to the family a routine and, and feeling, you know, is this going to be a home for me? Uh, so that book is called Many People to Love. And mm -hmm. so the, the second book is almost uh, finished. And it's, uh, it's, it's another unique thing that adopted children experience. It's referred to as uh, disenfranchised grief. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it, but it's it, what it means is is grief that is somehow like dismissed by society or minimized or ignored. Mm. In other words, you know, people thought that my daughter was so lucky to be in a loving family, and it was wonderful. But it didn't erase. It didn't change the fact that she didn't know who her birth mother was. She's in a family and she doesn't, you know, look like us. She's uh, on her birthday. She's wondering, does my birth mother think of me? So these are, these are sad feelings. And this is what, you know, Carla, this is the girl's name in the book, is going through in the second book. So the second book is called How I Wonder Where You Are. Mm -hmm. And it's her just really thinking about, uh, you know, what, what happened and how, how am I ever going to feel loved in this family when, my sister looks just like my mom, but I, I don't. I don't look anything like her. The the story arc is a family tree. I don't know if you ever had that assignment when you were in mm -hmm. uh, maybe grade school, but think about that. These children that are adopted are asked to put together a family tree when all the branches contain people that they don't, you know, really know, and again, they don't look like them. And in the story, the mother and daughter. Uh, are working on the tree and just, you know, doing their best to have uh, Carla, is the, is the girl's name, meet her and her new family and feel part of the family. So it's never, never an easy process, but I think it's something important that we need to talk about. And the books provide an avenue, the books provide an opportunity for that parent-child discussion about these feelings. Beautiful. Like, I, I agree. I think it's so important 
especially to like have a tool that is easily digestible by both parents and children alike. Right. And that you can use to like share and maybe help some child feel more comfortable and that they're not alone. Exactly. Thank you for doing that. So yeah, it's only, it's a, it's a children's book, picture book, about 700 words and just wonderful for conversation starters for as a gift for someone that's in, in an adopted family, <clears throat> that's part of an adopted family. And, um, and so this will be a series uh, that I will continue with other topics related to, you know, foster children, other blended families, other difficult emotional um, my next book, I think is going to be on some school anxiety, you know, adopted children fitting in at school and how that works. So anyway, I think the topics are endless. So if your listeners have any, uh, my website, uh, there's a way to get in touch with me. So send me a message at any point if you have an interesting idea for a story. Beautiful. Yes. And I'll put your links and everything in the show notes. So if somebody's listening and you'd love to reach out to Anna, just click the link in the show notes and go right to her website. Is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? As I said, I started the conversation by saying that I'm, you know, an adoption advocate. I really think, as I said, there are so many children out there, but it's easy to, you know, be discouraged. I was remembering the other day when uh, my daughter first came to live with us and she started, you know, second grade, there was a, a school assignment, a back to school night. You remember those back to school yeah. nights where all, everybody goes to school and, <laughs> and they were, they were highlighting like a little art show from the kids and all the, the, the kids had to draw like on big poster boards, uh, a picture of someone that was important to them. That was the, that was the assignment, someone in your life that is important to you. So we get to the, to the, uh, back to school night. And I'm like, like skipping down the hallway, thinking that I'm going to see this big poster board picture of me. Like I'm, I'm so important to her. I know she's going to draw this big picture of me. And of course I get there and I see her poster board, her name's at the bottom. And there's some other person that uh, I don't recognize. The woman has blonde hair. She's obviously a lot younger and she's holding a little baby. I said, what, what is this? And so, you know, she wasn't thinking of me. It wasn't, she was still digesting even being part of this family. This was someone that she met at school and felt a little bit of a bond with. It was another teacher that had recently had a baby and came into the classroom to share her, her good news. And it was like a fleeting, I mean, this wasn't even her teacher. This was another teacher, but she felt a connection I think because maybe the orphanage had a lot of babies too, yeah. you know, they had, she was used to being around a lot of children and that was so such a good feeling for her. So that's who she, and so you just have to get over yourself that parents, <laughs> that they're not the most important thing. And uh, it's going to take time for her to really trust and, and learn how to be part of a family and love. And so it's, it's, it's a journey. So I hope I convey that with my books. Beautiful. I definitely going to read them. Cause like I said earlier, um, I feel I've always wanted to adopt, right. I was told when I was 21 that I was infertile because of endometriosis and subsequently mm. had more surgeries and they said I was good to go, but you never know, right? Like you never know. Mm-hmm. Infertility is really common. And at this point in my life, like I'm not willing to really go down the IVF Mm-hmm. Right. And so my husband and I have talked. If we try and we are unsuccessful, like we're going to adopt. So 
Thank you for creating these resources. Sure. Anytime. And, and uh, yeah, read the books and, and be familiar. And again, there's so much out there, but it's, it's uh, I, I think these are special children's books because the children's feelings and emotions are, are really center stage. Yeah. Yeah. I love the perspective that you took. It's amazing. Incredible. Thank you. So, sure. So yeah, the links are all on my website. And um, if you have any ideas, um, not as experienced with foster children, some of the emotions and feelings that I'm talking about are exactly the same in terms of grief and the transitions and getting used to families and such um, for, for older children. But um, I'm looking into that and hope to continue the series with those uh, those stories as well. Yes. And I'll put a link to the children's books in the show notes as well. Oh, great. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, Anna. All right. Thank you. Oh, babe, thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. I had so much fun and I'm so fucking grateful for every single one of you. If you thought that this was helpful or you loved any part of this podcast, I would love, love, love for you to screenshot it and post it on Instagram at Chelsea Bree, C-H-E-L-S-E-A-A-B-R-I and take me. I would love to see what you're getting out of the episodes. It makes me so happy. I would also love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave a review because that just helps other wonderful endo babes find me as well. I adore you and I believe that you don't deserve to feel like shit. You deserve to have a normal life despite endometriosis. So I love you so much and I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll catch you on next week's episode of the Endo Babe Podcast.